Welcome along to the Make It Count podcast. It's great to be here today, isn't it, Matt? It is. I'm so, so happy. So that's Matt. I'm David. And yeah, we're going to dive straight in today with, well, today we're talking about The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, the book by John Mark Comer. JMC, as we like to say. N- nobody said that, Matt. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so this is kind of one of our interviewer question. Interviewing question, a book. Interviewing a book. Both of us have read this one, which might be a first for... For what? Interviewing the book. book. So why are we talking about this book, Matt? Well, uh, we you've read it recently. I read it a little while ago. And it's very relevant for our contemporary world. Yes, it's prescient for our time, right? Prescient. Or is it prescient? I don't know. Either way, it's very relevant and it's important. And in a, I think, early 2020, when lockdowns were happening around the world, there was a, a shared, we'll need to slow down and stop a little bit. And there was a pause. But that quickly just turned into more hurry in different ways. And then as different places have come out of lockdowns, maybe gone back in and come down, but there is an increased rush um, and then we want to get back to normal. We want to do all the things again. And so I think even even with that enforced pause, we have shown that actually we, we need to be practicing this more in our lives. Mm. So so you, you're sort of looking at recent history and saying, hey, we had to slow down. Yeah. But now we don't have to. We're not anymore. And so it's become a problem again. I think so. Um, but why is it a problem in the first place? I was actually going to ask you a different question. What... In, in brief, do you think the main message of this book is? Or do we finish there? Well, yeah, well, I think... Oh, we could... I think it's in the title. You know, the, the, the book is not just how to eliminate hurry, but why it's important to eliminate hurry mm. from your life. And that's really the message of the book. Another way he says it is, I can't remember exactly the quote, but hurry is the soul, is the enemy of the soul. Mm. It basically stops you from being able to truly live, truly enjoy and to truly grow. So John Mark Comer tells the story, probably in the intro, it might be in the first chapter of how he had a meeting with John Ortberg, one of his sort of spiritual directors or you know, mentors. Someone, mentors. And John Ortberg then told of a conversation he had had with Dallas Willard and was wrestling through various things. And I think they're in um, the Pacific Northwest. Pacific Northwest, area, yeah, Seattle yeah. area, Seattle, area sort, Seattle of thing. sort of Portland area. And he was saying, you know, <laughs> what, what, you know, what's the enemy of, you know, this time? And and Dallas Willard basically sat there for a moment, long pause, quite a long pause pausing even longer and then just sort of said hurry is the great spiritual enemy of our time yep and um, you must do everything to ruthlessly eliminate it from your life yeah that's that's what he said and we sort of said oh great great point one what's the next point and he said no that's it think about that yeah. and he said you know of all the spiritual enemies that <laughs> you know, the, we might perceive that the Pacific Northwest of Portland, Seattle are engaged with. He said, hurry. Yeah. And as he started to explore this idea, he realized that so many of those 
problems that he perceived were underpinned by this idea of hurry. Mm. So there were some interesting facts that I briefly skimmed through this earlier. How many hours of sleep do you think people got before the electric light bulb was invented? Was in like a night average. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, nine. Yeah. Well, he references some research that said people on average were sleeping eleven hours a night. Wow. Before the electric light bulb. That's a lot. It's more uh, than I thought. Yeah. Because <laughs> oh, no, you I, thought it was nine. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how that changes over the summer and the winter. Yeah. I wonder. I didn't look up the source material, but I thought that was quite an interesting idea. Does he compare that to now? Well, I don't want to we, know. We know <laughs> we know what now is, but it was actually more interesting that he was a uh, he talked about people that we read in the the past who would rise really early and get lots done. You know, they would say, "Oh, I'll be up at four or five o'clock," and this and that. Well, that's much easier when you go to bed at seven p.m. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, who do you know does? going to bed at even 8pm no we stay out later because we have electricity and light and we're disconnected from those things so we steal from our sleep which is quite interesting wow what other facts did you find I suppose it was more of an observation this but he said leisure used to be a sign of wealth Mm. so you know in, in England you had the amateurism stuff so we didn't train but you could afford to or just be able to spend your days doing tennis or golf for these uh, things that you had time to do because you didn't have to work because you were wealthy right and now busyness is a sign of wealth mm. and he said you can see that by the way even the last 10 20 years adverts have changed yeah for expensive items he said you used to have someone relaxing in france by a pool for example whereas now all the luxury items are of someone in a busy high rise in a meeting room and that idea of looking good in your busyness place yeah it's really interesting it is quite interesting yeah obviously the 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 image i have there i don't know if he brings it up specifically but it's the image of a watch Mm -hmm. and those that example of those advert changes i remember reading it and he was saying part of this in the west part of the the way the story begins as to how we get here actually began way back in the monasteries mm-hmm. when the monks basically divided the day into quadrants or something and it was for their fixed hour prayer and that started the trend towards ever smaller increments of time which we measure you think can you imagine a few hundred years ago saying to someone oh no i'm going to be quarter of an hour late to something and they're going to go well, I don't know how when when minutes and everything were brought in but they would just be like what do you mean like and or like I'm going to I'm going to miss my train by 2 minutes you know that that wouldn't really compute um and of course those things are necessary for schedules and efficiency and a thing a whole complex network to to work but in an age where it's slower and you would go well it's maybe a half a day's ride away or, or whatever and so you, it's a different pace because you just you go by you're not going by minutes and seconds and i find myself it's really fascinating when i when i'm going for, to catch a train even if i leave in ample time and i know i'll probably be there five minutes early i find myself walking quite quickly so i don't want to l- miss the train um but even if i've left myself that time i'm i'm 
pressed. I'm, I, I feel this urgency to, I need to get there. And then you end up standing on the, the station platform for ages rather than to go, I could have just enjoyed a slower walk or, or whatever. Mm. Um, but there's something about, we, and I looking at my watch all the time. What's the minute? What's the latest minute? What's the, it's almost frenetic. Mm. And I think that is the thing. That's why we talked about, even at the beginning of this podcast, it being relevant, it being prescient or prescient or whatever, however you say it, but that there is this frenetic hurriedness to the way most of us are living our lives. We're cramming more and more into less and less, well, the same amount of time. Sure. And and we're run by that. Like you said, there's these drivers of efficiency and effectiveness and that being the most important thing. And can you maximize your time? And when I say I'm busy, that means a lot of people want my attention. And so I'm going, hey, it's a status. It's a status I'm thing. Important. It's, a, it's I'm important. Exactly yeah, yeah. those things. And, and yeah, without realizing there's a, a fight for our attention. And, and so we have this, everything's speeding up. And trying to cram more and more into into the same amount of time and space, but also there are huge things, uh, powers sort of pulling on your attention. Mm. I think he he quotes Mark Sayers and said, "There's an arms race for people's attention. There is um, it's it's intentionally engineered. So many things are intentionally engineered to grab your attention mm. and keep it, and and so we end up." sucked into these places where actually we lose time and i'm i've quoted this to loads of people recently but i looked it up the other day it was i think it's 2020 2021 maybe it said in the uk people are watching 193 minutes of television a day that's, that's more than three, three hours, hours yeah, of yeah. television wow. a day now nobody is setting out to go and think oh i want to spend three hours of my life like watching television but it means that the rest of their day is crammed into a smaller space. Now, how much easier would it be to to enjoy things if if you weren't trying to... I'm not saying TV is bad per se, and even he says that. It's not that technology is bad, but it's that we must never treat it as a normal part of our existence, really. That's mm. maybe not the best pace and pattern we are to live at. Mm. And I think... I, I'm sure people would be able to relate to this, but I've definitely... Uh, when it comes to something like TV... Yeah, often they're trying to get you to watch the next episode or trying to get you to watch the next season. And so you end an episode and you already feel this little compulsion because of the way they've scripted it and where they've ended it often. Oh, I want to watch the next one. And it becomes another thing on your to-do list. It should be a purely leisurely activity, something that's totally at your desire. Um, And there have been times when I felt, actually, I'm trapped to that. Mm. And I, but I've, oh, I've got to fit that into all my all the things. There is sometimes a wonderful freedom, and we've spoken a little bit about this concept before of saying yes to something and saying no to things. But there is a wonderful freedom with going. Well, actually, I'm not. I'm not going to watch that. Mm. I, I don't have to. And there's a there to to cut things out completely for a time and be like, I'm free to not do that. Mm. And it just and then to go. What am I really going to enjoy? And Something that I thought you were going to say just now, but I, you said to yesterday to a couple of friends that we had round, had a few friends over, and we were sat there having some snacks and a couple of drinks around the table, and the last of the sun of this season, and you were saying there's some research that's come out that basically says 
um, families that eat together, if there are children in that family that eat eat together regularly meals around the table, no TV, they are less susceptible to cyberbullying. Mm. Um, because of the the in-person affirmation of who they are and their person and their identity is affirmed there. But there is also just the simple fact of they're also not online at that point. Yeah. So there is a physical separation from that digital frenetic space. Mm. Um, and so I think all of these things intertwine. intertwine. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I thought you were going to say that. Yeah, that is interesting. And uh, I suppose... We're, we're talking about the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Harry by John Mark Homer. And one of the things that we realize is we are so often in a hurry. We are trying to cram so mm. much into our days, into our lives, into our weeks. And that has a, a consequences and effects. I think we can easily, quickly get to a place where we're overwhelmed, where we're anxious, where we don't feel like we measure up. Maybe we get depressed. I'm not surprised that in those moments where we're trying to do so much that we are unable to sit with ourselves, that that has led to what people are calling a mental health crisis. And I like that what he says, I think it's one of the chapters, but more time wouldn't help you solve your problem. Sure. But how many times have we heard people say, oh, I need another hour. I need more time in the day. I need more, you know, uh, more time in the week. I need more time. But actually... And, and we do that thought experiment. It's like, well, say you had 10 more hours in the day. Well, you'd probably fill it with learning another language. And, you know, doing that musical... A few more hours you of TV. Do, you do a few more hours of TV. You might spend a couple more hours working. Suddenly, you've used up all those extra 10 hours. And so it's not actually that you need more time. Probably we need a change of a pattern of thinking. Yeah. I'm not even sure if he says that. But basically, I think if we're honest with ourselves more time wouldn't solve our problem for most of us. No, for sure. Uh, two things that's just come to my mind. One uh, was a picture cartoon that got showed recently. Mm. We could put a link to it in the show notes or find a way to do that. Um, it was two two people standing next to each other and looking at some scene. And one of them had the thought bubble of just like, they're looking and there's just three trees in their thought bubble. And that was mindful. So the single word. And then the other person's thought bubble had all of these other things, all of these sort of money things and job things, and just a massive mess of stuff. The thought bubble was packed and rammed mm. uh, and it was mind-full. Mm. So it's like, have we got a full mind of all of the worries and care or are we mindful of where we are currently mm. standing in a beautiful meadow, looking at some trees and enjoying it? I thought that was really interesting. It was mm. quite quite a nice way of looking at that Mm. Um, and the other thought I had as you were sort of summarising some of those thoughts was I recently actually bought this book for a friend and gave it to them and I was chatting to them and uh, I was saying oh I've got another book do you want me to lend that to you and uh, this person was like well actually I haven't I haven't actually got round to uh, reading The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry yet I thought that's quite funny that's a little bit ironic (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I think the structure of the book is really good. He sets the scene with some of the, the spiritual aspects of it. He sets, Then he sort of goes into the historicity of it, really looking at the yep. last few hundred years. And then just says, so unpacks it a little bit. But he doesn't just leave us there going, look, I'm describing something that is problematic. He then says, these are four things yep. you can do. And the first one was 
silence and solitude. So briefly, Matt, what does that mean? <laughs> oh no, he's gone and done silence and solitude. Ah, oh, you've work. talked over the top of it. Doesn't it doesn't work on ruined. a podcast. I was, I was going to do a... Actually, oh, there was a brilliant um, series that Pete Scazzaro did on his podcast, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, um, where he did a little seven part or eight part series of just going through the different parts in his book. And then at the end of each of the podcast episodes, he would go, okay, we're now going to do a minute or two minutes of silence and ding a little bell. And then there would just be literally recorded silence and then ding another bell. And he then, at the, the beginning of the next episode, he would be like, oh, I'll begin loads of reviews and loads of feedback. And someone put this. I didn't know whether it was good or bad, but the silence was the best bit. <laughs> I was like, it's quite funny. Yeah. But yes, silence and solitude is key. In fact, listening to a few more of what John Mark Coma uh, talks about in some of his teachings and, and the book, basically says, if there's one practice that you do this is the one in fact it's actually not possible to truly grow maturely in spiritual in spirituality without silence and solitude that's really interesting in a world where that has been attacked more than any time in history because we carry around a digital machine which can connect us to anyone and anything around the world constantly but it's not true connection mm. And so I think there's a quest to find silence. There's an external noise. Yes. You're listening to this through your ears. This is noise as would be commonly understood. Yep. Whether it's a, you're in noisy places by public transport out in the world, whether the TV's on, the microwave's binging, whatever. There's a lot of noise in our world yep. from traffic and all sorts of things. There's that, that silence where you sort of shut that out for a bit. But then there's also the internal silence and being able to just sit with yourself and sit with your thoughts for some minutes. And that's one of the things I think can be quite difficult to just, hmm. even on our rest days when we're meant to be resting, to just sit in a chair and just go, Whew, I can be here without bouncing around or looking at my phone or reading a book or doing something or inputting. But actually when we can find that external and internal silence and, and in that solitude space, especially away from other people, that that really, like he said, it's a key principle, a key habit, a key way of living that allows that growth, but allows us to then slow down in the midst of that hurry. Yeah, I found that. I've been pra trying to practice sort of silence and solitude and stillness um, over the last year. Uh, and I definitely find it's so easy for the mind to start wandering off to all these other things. You've got to gradually practice bringing it back and attending to okay this is the inner noise yeah. the inner noise it's amazing how loud it becomes mm. when you've finally separated yourself from the external noise especially if you haven't done it a long time mm. there's a it's, it builds up it accumulates it compounds yes. so if you've never done it it's going to be quite hard especially at the beginning i would suggest for most yeah. people to just sit with themselves and yeah there are lots of things that can help you do that read the book first Second one, second principle, practice, is Sabbath. Yep. That's a very spiritual word. Uh, it just a, means stop. Spiritual word. It basically just means stop, doesn't it? And, and the, the goal really, or the aim would be, for one day a week, stop. Stop working. Do other things. Find a rest. Find a play. Find a... a um, delight. Well, a delight. Although there is a difference between a recreation and a rest, sometimes. I think we, we can end up... 
in our stopping doing just recreational activities that like you said become a task become a chore and so but the things that allow you to slow down and stop that break the pattern of relentless work and work and work and be and do and do and do yeah Um, so he talks a lot about that about expressing that in different ways um i think it's a i think it's a powerful practice obviously depending on where you're coming from you will maybe have thoughts about it already there's no from a christian perspective there's no kind of command you must be doing this but it's very much portrayed as this is actually a gift and it's good for us Mm. and once once you dive in and actually start practicing it you start to think man why would i ever go back to not doing it um i i think it's good it's not something i'm very good at practicing it's very easy to fill that time (laughs) the four words that i always associate with it i think from him or maybe someone else but it's stop um rest delight and contemplate Mm. or worship so that's a good so the third thing well i'm thinking we're we're nearly time and i'm thinking we've done most of a book review but maybe we just leave a bit of a teaser and we go there's two more there's two more practices uh i don't know we've got we've got plenty of time i i think as you said, the first one, the silence and solitude, was the most important yeah. one. And I think we can just skim over the next two. Okay, we'll just uh, mention them in passing. We, we've talked about you guys them are lucky. Previous, I was going to tease episodes. you and say there's yeah, two more. I'm not. I'm not for that. David's they'd have to nice. listen to the next episode, and that's just what we talked about not doing. Uh, <laughs> well, no, not tease them, but make them read the book. Third one is simplicity. That's about a busy space as much as anything. Yeah. That's a. Uh, you know, life is not found in an abundance of things. I think we know that's true, but we don't live like that. It's the true. fact that stood out from the book for me was in the average American home. Here's a from the states. So the average U.S. home has, on average, three hundred thousand objects in Ooh. it. That's average. That's not like the most wealthy. That's literally middle of the road. Three hundred thousand objects. That's a lot. It is a lot. So, uh, so yeah, simplicity. That really. When you have less stuff, it's easier to keep it tidy. It's actually just it's, there's a there's a you slow down, you hurried, you less time tidying. <laughs> Going back to the inner noise thing, mm. one of the things Steve Jobs did at Apple notoriously was everything's got to be plain walls, plain white, and everything because you don't want mental noise to mm. intrude interrude interrude and so it's a similar thing if you don't have to worry about all of your things breaking or all of the things you've got to do around the house or then actually you're free and so the last one four he talked about slowing or slowness that's really just what he summed it up as slow down the body to slow down your life and there in that he explores 20 different ways he himself has chosen to try and be a little bit slower. Some of them I find a bit gimmicky, so we're not going to talk about them. But you go read the book, you make your own decisions. But we really like this book. Matt, if you are going to sum this book up in a couple of sentences, what would you say? Before I do that, I'm going to just say one more word about slowing. I think it is important, and we might have mentioned this on a previous episode with the podcast, but we live in a world where everything has always got to be bigger, better, faster. You look at internet speeds now that they're touting and it's like gigabit speeds to your downloads and all this sort of thing. And it's like, 
I don't actually need to be able to download full feature-length films in less than a second. I mm-hmm. don't need to. It's going to take me 90 minutes to watch at least. Mm-hmm. To, but, you know, so it's this ever more speed and it's an addiction to that. And so these practices, he says, David said they're a bit gimmicky. Some of them are gimmicky. But that's almost the point mm-hmm. to really bring it to the fore and go, uh, I actually don't need to rush. And mm-hmm. by doing the silly thing like getting in the longest queue or actually maybe sticking to the speed limit actually you can start to enjoy life a little bit more yeah and he does he does say that i've tried to he said i've tried to gamify it and enjoy that process i've chosen these things intentionally they're not things you have to do or you must do you may come up with your own ones yeah i think we're both in agreement that probably most of us are living our life quite frantically quite in a hurry a little bit too fast or a lot too fast and this is a good book for helping you understand that's not by accident. Yep. Why you feel overwhelmed and distracted all the time. That's not by accident. That's by design and, and by several decades, if not centuries worth of building to this increasing acceleration. Yep. And so unless you're really intentional, you're gonna, we're going to struggle to be at ease in ourselves. Yep. I think... If I were to summarise the sort of the message of the book or the or the reason why I would not that I'm going to summarise the message, but why do you want to read this book? Do a uh, what's it called an audit on yourself. Think about yourself when you've been most hurried. Would you like to be with you when you're mm-hmm. in that space? And then think about yourself when you're most unhurried. Are you, who do you prefer? Mm-hmm. Who do you prefer to be? Well, we know the answers to that. That's great. We recommend going and reading this book and letting us know what you think about it. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thanks. See you guys next week. Yeah, see you next week. <laughs>